I'm, I am human optimization and optimized <laughs> to, to be what though? To just be happy. I feel like I can rule the world. I know I could be what I want to. Uh, I put my all in it like no days off. On the road, let's travel, never looking back. All right. Sorry we were late. We uh, were, we were recording another episode. and and Yeah, look, I got the context. I thought it was fascinating. I love the idea of, like, your digital media company being acquired, and then you have to do a, a podcast with the guy who acquired it, it <laughs> who no longer works there, uh, or no longer the CEO. It's fascinating. <laughs> well, he told a story that was, I think, good, because I think most people don't want to hear necessarily from, oh, you're the CEO of some marketing company, some public company. It's not the, the sexiest story. But he, he just got in a crazy snowmobile accident and broke like every bone in his body and uh, was sort of like lying there on a mountain for an hour thinking I might die or, you know, maybe hopefully and he, his cell phone had like one bar and he was able to call the police and get, get, get a firefighter to come save him. Um, wow. And so he told that story and I was like, OK, this is good. This is good content. Then, then I'm happy with how this turned out. Wow. That's that is fascinating. Man, so that's scary. Yeah, it was good. He was like, it, it was like a movie. We were like, you know, Brian, this is like a movie, you know, like billionaire tech guy almost dies, quits and starts meditating. And yeah, uh, he became like a, a philanthropist afterward. He reevaluated his life while he was lying there, that sort of thing. Um, all right, Sam, you want to do a quick intro? No, you then... do it. You do it. I, I've, I've enjoyed you uh, doing it lately. Okay, I'll give the, um, <laughs> I'll give the like the brief context of this. Okay, so Rob, um, I don't know if you know this, but your your show on MTV, there's a there's a kind of a meme about it on Reddit. Uh, do you ever go to Reddit? I do not. Okay, so do you know of Reddit? It's like a of popular course, kind of, of website course, or whatever. Of course. Yeah. So mm-hmm. me and Sam both watched the the show The Challenge on MTV. And mm-hmm. um and the challenge Weird. has been around for like fifteen years. It's kinda of like our our, you know, I'm not even a guilty pleasure, frankly. I'm not guilty about it. I, I feel great about it. No, it's a great this, show. This, makes, this is great. This is great. And so, and so me and Sam both watch the challenge, and we're probably the only kind of like tech investor dudes. Bro, it's openly because my admit. wife. My wife watches it. I, yeah, Sam I hides behind sure. his wife. I love it. I, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm not afraid to say it. I came out the closet and said I love the challenge. So on, on Reddit, there's this big subreddit about the challenge. And the running joke is that MTV plays 23 hours – of, uh, of of ridiculous uh, ridiculousness, and then one hour of the challenge uh, on Wednesdays, and so because your show is your show is always on TV. I don't know if you know this, but it's kind of like constantly on MTV, and so there's a running joke that that's that that's all the channel is basically is ridiculousness. Um, yeah. I don't know if you know about that or if you have any thoughts, but I wanted to to start there. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's sixty percent of the total programming. You know <laughs> is mean? it really? Yeah, and it's it's fascinating because it's like, you know, as I have evolved the program and my relationship with the network and ultimately sort of the business that I have with the network, it evolved into creating more content and airing more shows. And so they began to air more shows and the ratings went up higher and higher. So then now people are watching it in blocks of, you know, two and three hours at a time. So it, you know, and linear cable as a whole kind of faded to appointment television. And you had hero content that pushed up to the forward on almost all the networks. And I just happened to be lucky. You know what I mean? Of like finding that sort of resurgence. But I was also because I control and own the 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 production, I have negotiated on the unit economics of the show and what the network needed as the 
uh, cable advertising world was evolving. So I, I was able to control it at a higher level than traditional talent, which took me from getting 30 episode orders to 168 episode orders, which then eventually became 500 episode orders, right? It's a, and were you always, were you always well, plugged into that? Like I know with, for example, well, athletes like Floyd Mayweather, right? Starts off as a boxer, but then the promotion, the, the production co- company basically takes all the economics and he's out here, the talent, the one that's drawn in all the viewers, but didn't own that piece. And then over time, now he owns it all because he, he kind of like got screwed for a few years or, or you know, sort of wisened up and said, Oh, I, I need to own more of this stack in order for me to like benefit in the way that for the value I'm bringing. Were you, did you get it from day one or did it take some time for you to figure that part I, out? Look, I think you guys know the complexity of making a successful business, right? So at, at, the, at the end of the day, there's arbitrage for talent and different aspects of business and it relates to entertainment. But the ability to actually monetize it, create value, and then in my case, sell it for a significant amount of money is extraordinarily difficult unless you really understand business at a really high level. So it's it's way beyond... I, you know, I started my first company at 18 years old. I went through basically years and years of of making millions and losing millions through ventures, where I ultimately created a, a system uh, to to grow into being a great entrepreneur. And then I capitalized on uh, this unfair advantage that I had in the entertainment space to be able to look at the opportunity and maximize it, both from a talent perspective. And create a business that I was able to have acquired um, through that platform. You know okay. what I mean? It's I think it's more rare than it is common for an athlete to to have that mindset. Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. There's no secret formula for customer service, but there is an all new service hub from HubSpot, and it's bringing service and support together in one platform so you can deliver the best experiences possible. You can free up your customer support reps' time with an AI powered help desk so you can easily support and grow your customer base. The secret's out. Service Hub is a game changer. Visit HubSpot.com slash service to learn more. Yeah, and let me give a background here. And this is what I'm about to say is with no research, it's just as a fan. So I don't, you don't know this, but I, I, I still skate. So I've been a fan of yours forever. And so here we, I, I have here, look, here, here it is. Can you see that? There's my tray flip. <laughs> Talking about a full tray flip right here. Fully caught. Fully yeah, totally. So, look, That's a real a, tray flip. I could still, I still have it in me a little bit. Oh, my camera will come back in a second. But so you, um, you, you started skating very young and I think you were sponsored by Alien Workshop when you were like 13, 14, 15, something like that, right? Well, to give you more context, like I got sponsored it at, uh, 11 years old but i i connected with the group and and when they founded the alien workshop and i turned pro for it when i was 16 and you uh but now i think you you own alien workshop right or you're you're part owner no i i acquired it for four million dollars and then i gave it back to the original founders That's crazy. free and clear on top of buying a bunker in ohio so they could run the company out of it and gave that to them free and clear wait, and that wait, was wait, the wait. worst mistake why, i've ever done do in my that? life was why would acquire you do that? a skateboarding business um look i you know I, I i did it more they were acquired by burton 
And I, I, every advisor around me was like, this company does not make money. It has terrible margins. Like it burns cash. Like this is a terrible investment. I didn't care. I didn't understand business well enough. I just wanted it for the story. The hometown kid buys back, you know, the alien workshop that he sat in the room and helped choose the name and create the brand when he was 16 years old and finds great success and comes back and acquires the business. And when I, I acquired it, I felt like I acquired a hornet's nest. And I, I learned so much about the operational side of business and culture and, and the dynamics of um, what I'd consider a, a, a toxic culture. And I just realized that, that my passion was to create, build, and, and create an ROI, an IRR for the stuff that I created. And that's, that doesn't align with skateboarding very much, right? Like they're really like misery loves company. Let's all be broke. Let's all barely survive. <laughs> Let's all like keep it Starving real. Artist Let's syndrome. hate everything. Starving artist syndrome. And I, I literally like was on another call and was like, man, I don't even want to be on it. I don't want to put another bit of my energy in here. And I'm like, you want to know what the real hero story will be? I'm going to give back the original founders who built the company and sold it. I'm going to just give the entire thing back to them. And that's what I did. So we have to talk about that in a second. That's crazy to me. Uh, not in a bad way, but it's crazy. And so you're, you're, you're a skater. You know, I used to watch you in a lot of trans world videos as a kid and, and a bunch of other stuff. And then you were early-ish at, I think very early, at DC Shoes before DC Shoes was even named DC, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that ended up becoming a pretty monster success. Um, and so you've seen a bunch of stuff. Then you started some of the early shows, which crushed it. And then now you're mm-hmm. telling, you're sitting here talking about ridiculousness. And the way that you're describing things, I'm like, the, it's just the evolution's crazy, right? From skateboarder to like talking about how you own 60% of the programming on MTV. <laughs> and so I wanted to give like context there because it's, it's amazing and it's inspirational. But at this point, you've got your hands in everything. It seems like you've got, you do, you dabble, you do a bunch of stuff. If I remember correctly, years ago, you had like a food truck. Is that right? Um, I you, might've wrote an episode around a food truck, but it was probably fake. Fantasy well, factory. You, you had like a bunch of different, you, you, you know, you had a bunch of different stuff. You got your hands in everything. I think you even, did I read that you were, you do uh, horse racing. You own racehorses. I did. I did. I, when I got into horse racing, I jockeyed a horse for uh, a race at Hollywood Park and won the race. Um, went on to own twelve or thirteen racehorses, including a horse that I uh, that got third place in the Breeders' Cup that I sold for two million dollars that I paid two hundred grand for. That's crazy to me. So is, is, gonna, is owning a horse a good good investment in general? Like that's a great, I mean, obviously that's no, a great flip, but I, it's it's not. But I for me, I got out unscathed. You know what I mean? Like for a lot of people I know that are in it, it's just really for the enjoyment of it. It's a lot right. of fun to go watch your horse race. Um, you know, I had a lot of respect in the racing community because they know I jockeyed a horse. They know how insane that is, right? Did you so, do that as a skit or did you take it seriously? I know. I mean, I did it as a skit. I mean, it's like the dumb, it's the scariest thing I've ever done. You're talking to a guy who's broke the world record for jumping a car backwards. I barrel rolled a car. I've been attacked by a shark, a tiger. It's like I've done, you know, broken 25 world records on a skateboard. But the scariest thing I'd ever done in my life is jockey a horse at Hollywood Park. Because it's just you on the back of this horse. You're, you got a hold of its mane. You break the gate. You're going 50 miles an hour on the back of this giant beast, you know. <laughs> How do you, how is your current 
your your entities set up right now as well as your focus because if you have all well, I was gonna, the reason I'm listing all these crazy stuff crazy things that you do and all these projects that you've got going on which are very substantial how are you balancing all of this and what's your current business structure i mean do you have like a rob dierdick media which only does the mtv stuff and you get uh, some type of fee from them and then you have you know i and i, and yeah. I, I would imagine yeah, let me you, let me, uh, let me you tell you let me tell you if we, hey hey if you want to talk structure let's talk some structure yeah, i, I basically operate as a very Probably like a hybrid entertainment family office, right? Slash venture creation studio, right? So I have a single entity, the Deerdick Machine LLC that owns everything, including Rob Deerdick Inc., which is the, the entertainment side of Rob Deerdick's business. So all of that capital flows into this single LLC. And then I distribute that capital into uh, real estate holdings, right? The cash flowing real estate holdings, or I distribute it into ventures that I co-find and create, right? So I co-find and create almost every single company that I build. And I, I do, I co-find it with common shares. And then I do the initial funding, uh, usually in the 800 to a million and a half, a, a million dollar uh, sort of pre-money, and then I put two two fifty to five hundred into every venture. I try to own between twenty five and seventy percent of every single venture that I have at maturity. Um, I have built seventeen companies, sold six for, and netted four hundred and fifty million since I launched the company in two thousand and sixteen. One of those is the production company, but all of these entities sit under the umbrella of the venture side of the Deerdick Machine business, including. Rob Deerdick, the television business. So my production company that was acquired, my earnout goes into the LLC um, that I own 100% of, right? And then uh, my talent money lives in that same, same thing. Then I pay myself a salary that goes through that. And then I invest all of that in, in basically non-correlated cash flowing uh, real estate investments, whether that's Great. manufactured housing, multifamily units, storage units. Like I've been investing in a lot of RV parks lately. Dude, this is um, music to my ears. Yeah, it's this very sophisticated. It's a very sophisticated, you know, hybrid family office that I built for, for myself right now. And keep in mind, every venture that I create has a has a time structure. We call it the unified theory. We at the very beginning we lay out the entire capital path and growth path and and when we want to sell it and how much we want to sell it for and that's our target. Uh, everything is built to sell from the very beginning, whether that's pig out chips and outstanding foods or mind right bars or Luso uh, comfort wear or any of the build builds that I've done over the last five years. But all of it is connected to this idea of uh, the capital that you've earned, the tax efficiencies on how you earn it, and then ultimately the IRR on every dollar, wherever it goes inside the system. And what do you do? Then you keep your expenses within the range of your dividends that come from your real estate. So you basically play the entire game for free. And then as you scale and have big exits and big, big, uh, liquidity events, you just pump more money into the overall system and you basically live this extraordinary free life. Now, to that point, I do all of this with 30% of my time. 
right? Because I, I manage, I've mastered time, energy, and capacity, right? So I live this extraordinarily balanced life by design where I only dedicate 30% of my time to podcasts and my shooting television and uh, building my businesses. I spend 30% sleeping, 10% on my health, never compromise, and then 30% with my family. Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. It is a podcast that we want you to check out. It's called D2C Pod. It's hosted by Ramon Berrios and Blaine Bolas. It is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. And this is a podcast about all things direct-to-consumer, D2C. It's e-commerce stores. It's how you optimize your brand. And they're talking with founders, marketers, and the platform creators about all kinds of things that you need to know for D2C. You know, website conversion, paid ads, Facebook ads, consumer trends, email marketing, if you want to know the stories behind your favorite brands, this podcast is for you. They did an episode recently about scaling creator growth and influencer incentives. That I thought it's pretty cool. So check it out. Listen to DTC Pod wherever you get your podcasts. You know, how much is thirty percent for you? Like, how many hours are you looking at? Thirty percent of a forty-hour work week, or thirty percent of your he's waking? Saying, he's saying of, of my entire life, all hours, so right? eight hours, so, basically, right? No, all life of the twenty-four hours in a day. I. I sleep 30%, so seven hours, right? Yeah. Like I work seven hours, I'm with my family seven hours, and uh, I spend uh, three hours on my health on average, right? When yeah. you look at the the overall balance. And then I could show you this because I track it every day and it pumps all of it into this beautiful dashboard. Because what I've done over time, because to give you an idea, I shot 250 episodes of television this year. It's exactly 4% of my total time. That's how highly optimized it's become, right? Because you basically have a certain level of human capacity. And in order to scale it, you either hire or automate it. So I live this deeply automated life uh, that, that hires people in to add capacity. And at the end of the day, I just live super balanced and happy. That's <laughs> so, it. So give what, us what, an example. What, wait, give, what give, software are you using to track all that time? Yeah. That I, I created. I, I created. I, I had a. I had a, a programmer write me a script that goes inside Google, the Google it's, Calendar. It's an app on your phone, or it's just on like a spreadsheet. Basically, it's, in, it's inside Google Calendar, and then it pops. It populates a uh, Google spreadsheet, right? And then the beauty of it is, is I qualitative data and quantitative. Uh, data is what I live my life off of, right? So every day for the last five years, I asked, I wrote down how I feel about my life, work, and health, zero to 10. And so I could show you by the qualitative numbers how I'm living a higher quality and happier life. And, and the result of that is based off the optimization that I've done on my quantitative stuff. My quantitative stuff is, did I get up before five? Did I brain train? Did I get in the gym? Did I meditate? Did I have a clean diet? Did I not drink? I could show you by my quantitative numbers that I have done all of those almost every single day of this entire year, about 87% of those quantitative things that have just driven those qualitative numbers, how I feel about my life, my work, and my health higher and higher. So by the numbers, I could tell you what a high quality life that I'm living compared to just five years so ago. You know? You're saying... So many amazing things. I got to yeah, dive into in to each one. All right. So you just said something. Did I brain train? What's that mean? 
I use a luminosity app, right? Like where it's just adding flexibility and just letting your mind do all of these things that are different than just getting in and reading your emails and, you know, just going through your rhythm is really what I, I do that for. And when you wake up at five, what's the morning routine like? Sounds like you're pretty Yeah, like, look, I, I'll get up. I, 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 get, I have to get up before five, but depending on what time I go to bed, I'll get up um, at four or four thirty too, right? And then to me, uh, you know, I always have that, that coffee pre-made so I can get up and get cooking. Um, and then I track all my numbers from the previous day, fill in all my time if I missed any time to make sure that, that all my data is there. On your phone um, or, or on your computer? On the computer, right? Okay. And then um, and then I try to just like organize and knock out sort of my more executional work before the kids get up and all that. Um, then at six o'clock, I brain train. 6.30, I meditate. Uh, when I jump out of meditation, I send – actually, at 5.15, I bring my wife a coffee and I send her an email of every single thing that I'm doing that day, what it means to me with a love quote on top, right? Um, again, this is, what, this what is do you mean, what it means to me, like each thing you're doing, uh, just like, you know, just like while you're doing it. Yeah. in in my, in my, one of the, one of the pulls of our relationship was like, I do so much stuff that she would be, it'd be, I'd just be talking to someone. It'd be the first time she ever heard of it. And so she would just like, I would do so much stuff in a day. She just would, would feel disconnected. So I just started giving her an email every day of like what I'm doing, what it means with a nice love quote, right? And and that then settled down the energy of feeling disconnected from everything that I'm doing. Um, bring her a coffee at 515. God bless her. She started doing 530 calls for her business, um, which means she's going to be tired earlier. That means we can go to bed by 930, right? Which is a, another sort of blessing. And, um, and this is I, happening in LA, right? You're, this is your- yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then, you know, I, I pop out of meditation at seven, wake the kids up, uh, get them both down to breakfast at seven thirty. My trainer doctor comes to the house, uh, seven thirty to eight thirty, um, training and then take the kids to school at eight thirty. Right. Um, and then the day, depending on what the week is, you know, sometimes I go to breakfast dates with my wife. Sometimes it's, you know, on Mondays, you know, I basically run a flat organization, right? So I have, you know, 10 core divisions that are ran by uh, an executive and I just spend Monday fully organizing from when I get up four o'clock into my chief of staff for an hour, into my president and COO for an hour, and then half hours for every single person that runs that division uh, so that we can just be highly organized and then plan the rest of the week, which of course is inside Thursday night date nights and Friday night sushi night with my wife and picking my kids up and right. all of, you know, I design balance and then I only work within the structure of balance. And then depending on how I feel, depending on how my wife feels, then I'll even adjust that to lean into making sure that my family is feeling priority above business always you you I, I you are one. like yeah you, you're you're like you know the, like people make fun of silicon valley people because they're like just like here's my calendar i've got to adjust it like this this and this but uh i'm sitting here looking at you i think it looks like you're wearing a black blazer with a black sweater and you got these slick airpods in you are more silicon valley techie in tune with this than like the stereotypes of it and i i love it i think this is yeah, awesome. i mean look i'm i am human optimization and optimized <laughs> to to be what though to just be happy you know what i mean like at the end of the day that's why you're playing the game and you got to figure out yourself to understand what truly makes you happy because your goal is to not be happy in pockets your goal is to be happy every single hour of every single day of your life 
right? And, and that's really what I've accomplished. And I'll tell you something. If you think about how you live, right? You, you can live in two places that'll get you nowhere. It's dwelling and being negative, right? Or it's being hopeful and like wishing, right? Either of get you nowhere. But real, where life is lived is you're either problem solving, you're either creating the future or you're experiencing the present, right? And the truth is whatever you're experiencing the present is based off of the decisions you've made in the past. And it's your choice to create whatever you your reality is that you're going to eventually experience or God forbid something hits you rather than dwelling on it or hoping it didn't happen. If you problem solve and handle it, um, you're not going to, you can basically live a life with no negative thoughts. If you learn to live in a state of either experiencing, creating or problem solving in your entire life. Right. But it's on you to understand what that is, to be able to live in that state. You know? I'm flabbergasted, Sean. So, Rob is, is just, here's it, what it I'm shocked wondering. me. Here's what I'm wondering. And we share a lot of philosophies, by the way, the, the things you're saying, these yeah. are a lot of philosophies I, I live by, Sam lives by as well. But I'm wondering this. In my life, because I live by a similar philosophy, I've encountered a bunch of people. And what I found, maybe I'm wrong here with you, but what I found is there's kind of two two groups. There's the group of people who kind of were this way from day one. They were sort of like optimizers from day one. They really cared about – they sort of recognized the importance of time early on. They recognized the importance of their mood and how they're feeling early on. And they said, cool, I'm going to design systems to make this work for me by default so I'm not swinging from highs to lows. Uh, I'm not pissing away time. I'm actually making advantage. So some people get it early. I don't know if that's nature or nurture, but they they were this way from day one. And then there's other people who sort of live life in the exact opposite way for a while. And then it comes sort of screeching to a halt and they say, I got to make a change. I got to get some order and some organization. I got to like, I got to actually like take control of this, not just have it be so loosey-goosey. And I'm looking at you and I'm thinking – is he a skater at early? How does the skater guy become human optimization embodied yeah. the way you are? Were you always this way or was this I lived a certain way and then I had a realization in a moment where I decided to kind of shift my path so that I could design my life a little bit differently? Yeah, I was not this way. You're talking to a guy getting attacked by sharks who's starting company after company, breaking world records, jumping cars, doing cartoons, television shows, doing doing all these things. As, as you related to in the beginning, like you you were pulling into – I would say you were pulling energy from like who I used to be and what you know me as, right? Just as, just as a fan. Like, yeah, right. So, so the way that you were viewing was, in fact, really how I was kind of living. Where I was, ba- I, I always refer to myself as going in so many directions that at once I was, I was like pulled tight. And so, what happens? You swing from side to side in order for there to be some sort of give in whatever you were ultimately doing. And for me, I was, I'm had had built my league my professional skateboarding league and took it to market to raise capital and and these groups were like oh we want to we want a piece of everything that you do look at all that you do they offered me a 360 deal i thought this is it you know i've just you know done this whole thing by the seat of my pants and like finally like these people are going to recognize me and turn me into the billionaire i'm meant to be and when they did the diligence on how i ran my finances how i ran my life all aspects of it they were like, you're not even investable. You're just like, you spend all the money that you have. Like you're not creating any value, like all this stuff. And it was this, this deep awakening of like, you're not who you think you are. 
Like you, you've attached yourself. This, this identity that you've created for yourself is actually false. And the success that you've had by being so driven and so ambitious, like as you know, despite all these other things you're doing that are failing, you're making up for it by other things working. Like it, you aren't actually what you think you are. And, and I went on this journey to begin the discovery of like, how can I begin to put a system around myself to be, first it was like, how do I learn business? I don't know business. And I hired a consultant to teach me how to build a company beginning to end. And, and in that process, I found this book called Start at the End. That was a business book about decide what you want out of a business before you ever start it. And then it was like this sort of like, like, you know, insane sort of moment that where I was like, man, like I need to start treating my life like that. What life do I want? And how long and then ago now, was this? That would have been in 2013. You know wow. what I mean? So it wasn't, you got to understand, I, this, the evolution and the growth that I have gone through over the last six years is, is four or five lifetimes of growth. You know, you're, you're talking about from, from saying you're uninvestable to creating generational wealth in a five-year period, okay? More and 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 now transitioning beyond you know self-preservation to generational preservation. What is my five-hundred-year plan? How am I going to affect Deerdex for the next five hundred years? And I couldn't even in two thousand and thirteen. You know, I was single partying and like part of like when I looked at like, what's my ideal life? I want to have balance and love and marriage and kids and these things. So I had to begin to change the way that I was living to ultimately create the energy to attract um, the person, the people, the knowledge, everything that I would need to grow into the person that I that I had designed for myself in 2014 and 15. And was the, you, you said your production company was acquired. Um, was that the biggest win for you financially? Oh, you know, I mean, there's no doubt, you know what I mean? But you got to understand like even, you know, it's, it's such a significant amount of capital um, and I own 70% of it, right? So it's just a, it's a much, it's a, it's a big acquisition, um, you know, you know, the final numbers aren't, we're still in the middle of the earnout, but it's, it's, oh, it'll, it could be close to, you know, you know, 125, 130 million for just me now. Right. And so that, that unto itself is a really significant single transaction um, that is that very few people ever experience. Right. You know what I mean? So again, it's a, and it, to me, it's the first company that I built that was in the built to sell structure. Right of when I just taught myself business, completely built a system for how I would create businesses. It was the very first one that I built to sell and built it and sold it in three years. Right, and went first to the investment bankers. Said I'm going to build a production and sell it. The people that only sell uh, production companies, they're like, okay, here's how you got to do it if you want to awesome. build it and sell it. Yeah. Then I went and hired a person who just went through a build and acquisition, who was the number two at the company to help me build it. Then I went out and began to build it. Now, what happened? A whole lot of magical shit happened. You know what I mean? Like, because like, 
like all of these different things like occurred that allowed me to go from zero revenue to 50 million in the first year that allowed like the trajectory of the growth and the, the EBITDA and the company to scale based off of ridiculousness, having a second resurgence and me being able to negotiate the value of the company based off of now understanding the production and the unit economics of what the network would need. These unpredictable things that, that in the beginning, but I said it where I would build it and sell it in three years and then took it to market, went back to those bankers three years later. Here's the numbers. Let's take it out and see if uh, see who would be interested. Now, as fate would have it, the group that acquired it was the same group that offered me the 360 deal that said I had no value um, in 2013. And when they acquired it, part of the acquisition, I made them also acquire my professional skateboarding league as part of the roll-up that they created, right? So it was a very poetic justice and beautiful sort of 360 moment as it relates to they as the single sort of private equity group that drove me to like reevaluate and and really push myself to like design my life. And then they come around and also provide the opportunity that sets me up for the future, instead of owning half of me for the rest of my life, they acquired the only two assets I kept from that era. You know? And uh, you don't know this, Rob, but Sam is kind of a nut like you. Uh, he, I think at the age of, he showed me the spreadsheet. He's like, I made this, I think he was 23, 24, maybe. And basically what he did was he said, okay, I want to have, I, I forgot what it was. I want to be a millionaire, self-made millionaire. I said I wanted to make I wanted to make twenty million dollars by the age of thirty. By the age of thirty, I want I want to have twenty million dollars by the age of thirty, liquid cash that I actually uh, you know I, I own, liquid liquid net worth. And so he then created a list of all the rich people he could find in tech because we're in the tech world, right? And he's like, okay, from Jack Dorsey who created Twitter and Square to like whoever. And he mapped out how many years did it take them to make their first, like their first nut of like a million bucks. And then like yeah. how long, how long before they got their big win? He's like, he's like, okay, the median time of seven years, um, <laughs> the, the, you know, the average person is getting this. Uh, I need to be on this trajectory at this. And so he's like mapping it all out. Well, so I was like, I need, I need my business to be at this revenue with this EBITDA inside four years, because that means the growth rate my- is this. The- and then if I own this percentage, that means I'm going to make this after tax. So long as I'm in this state. Yeah. yeah, everything. And then, you know, when Sam did you do me, it? Yeah, he did it. He pulled it off. He just sold his 31. I sold, I sold the company. 31. When I was 31. A year late. Yeah. Good and, for you, man. And, so, and you want to know why you did it? Because you started at the end. And then, right. you, well, and you, know, yeah. you know, hey, hey, and you know, hey, like it wasn't about how the path actually went. You could have never predicted. You're like, whoa, I would have right. never expected it to be in this one, whatever it may be. But your mentality was there on what it is. And you're very young because you got to think the way I'm talking. I didn't do this till I was 40, 10 years from now for you guys. You know what I'm saying? But go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I just wanted to know the payout. No, you had, you, uh, you know, you had a point and, for me on that or no, I just, I just jammed you. Yeah. No, no, you're good. Uh, the other things I was going to say is that we, uh, you know, one of the first messages Sam ever sent me, I met the guy, you know, kind of in passing. And then, you know, two days later on Facebook, he's like, so how much do you pay yourself out of your company? And he started talking money in a way that most people don't. Most people are very afraid to talk money. And I thought, at first I was taken aback. I was like, who the hell is this guy? And then I was like, actually, it's pretty powerful if I could have some friends like this where we could openly share what are we making? How you know what? What did we sell for? What are we investing it in? Share what, what, what are we spending? And is, yeah. is spending oh. that much money each month actually making you happy? Yeah, that sort of thing. And so we oh, um, Look, oh, this is amazing. 
Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. And so we got to know each other that way, created a friend group that way. Do you have like a set of peers like that in your world where you kind of learned the game together? You came up together? No. And, but let me tell you what uh, who I do have as a peer group that I think you'll find fascinating. Have you ever heard of Tiger 21? Uh, yes. yes, we've we've broke down that business a ton. I actually think that you can build a new Tiger 21 because it's pretty old school. It's like all old rich guys, right? So like it's not very young. Tiger, yo, so I'll tell you what my Tiger 21 experience is, right? So um, to me, it's not about the business model of Tiger 21. It is about the peer group of yeah. Tiger 21. And so this is what you do in Tiger 21. So in my group, you know, they've really expanded it since they took on private equity and they're really trying to grow it. So it's probably a little bit different whenever, whenever you had looked at it. In my group, there's 15 people of varying ages, right? Really young guys that have made hundreds of millions really young guys that have a billion, couple billion dollars in net worth, right? Really interesting group of, of guys. Now, this is what you do in Tiger 21. You, each month, one person has to show all of their assets and it's called portfolio defense, right? So each person has to like lay out, this is every single thing that I'm doing. So what are we doing as a group? Not only do we understand each other's philosophies, what they're spending, their life philosophies, all these things, but understanding, seeing how they manage their wealth, their wealth, not, not, not making money, but managing wealth, right? All, all of the latest things through their own advisors that we share and all this stuff. But at, at the core of it, you're the realest of the real, because you have to be very real in order to open up and show everybody what you actually have. And, and to me, when I first heard about it, I'm like, oh my God, this is the group for me. Like, this is what I need. Like, I know that only like the realest people would be willing to share all of their, their, their investment strategies and all of their assets. And so for me, I actually have been in it now for two years and it was life-changing for me. Right. Because part of that very first portfolio defense, it was like, what was your hundred year plan? And it was like in an instant, I, I shifted from self-preservation to generational preservation. Right. But of course, I had created enough wealth to be in that mindset to that point. Right. And now over these last couple of years, it is just it, it is a, a depth of knowledge of wealth building that I've like that's so personal that that I've just never experienced on that I could never experience through just people that were my friends that weren't like open to this being part of the structure of a club if you will so you know look I would even say for 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 you know you guys to even consider it you know what I mean just because it is a an extraordinarily eye opening and you just learn and learn and learn cuz at the end of the day you're you you grow like this right you, you're, your entire life, as you grow and evolve, you, you, you expand. And what you want to do is be expanding in one direction because that's where exponential growth and greatness and mastery and all these things lie when you grow into a single direction. So, you know, I, I think that, that it's something like that as a peer group has been massive for me that I didn't have before that because I just don't, I don't have anybody that that because I come from a sort of a different world, I just didn't have any relationships with people that, that were thinking were, like that. Were you doing, I know that you, I mean, you've been famous for forever, it seems, and you've always been doing cool shit, but you mentioned earlier that when you were going through due diligence that the, the, the buyers were like, 
dude, you're running your like you're spending too much money, or you're maybe you're you're buying things incorrectly, and you're not you know you're mixing personal and work. Maybe I, I don't know. But were you were you making a significant income leading up to your big exit? And also, I mean, judging just off purely off TV, so who knows if it's real? Were you? It seems like you spend a lot, and you like to and you and you like to ball out, and you like to do fun stuff. Were you spending a significant amount? And so, like, were you actually financially successful prior to the 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 deal? And you're saying when they offered me the 360 deal. Uh, when they went into like 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 you you sold your production company recently, although that's still kind of mid mid it's not entirely done right but prior to like your where you said you read the book in 2013 or or whenever it was were you actually doing well or was it like you're still getting by but you're 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 making debt i was not crushing I, i was making a significant amount of income right the the problem was i was spending so much and not managing it properly, not not looking at what I was doing. It I would like, you know, I put two million dollars, four million cash to buy the distribution company. I put two million into building the first ever Street Dream <laughs> skateboard movie. I put two million into building my league. I was just making millions and investing and building any any which way but loose. On top of having, you know, a five million dollar a year overhead and bodies. In my in running the fantasy factory, and then all the people that that were underneath me as it as part of the management team. So, fantasy factory costs five million a year to maintain and and run. No, like like having the building itself was yeah. like you know seven fifty, right? And now you you put all the bodies in there. You know what I'm saying? I had you know president, CEO of like like full time like general counsel like CEOs like i had like you know a 30 person team i was like running like a, an agency almost the way that it was built in that era you know what i mean but, so but, were you, but let me give were you making you any profit at all or or was it break you know, even and you're just spending no, it as you're going i was like i was i was breaking even because yeah i was i was making profit and paying taxes but after taxes I wasn't saving any money. I kept reinvesting in new projects and bigger ideas because I thought that's how you do it. You know what I mean? You just keep taking shots. Back then, I used to say, uh, uh, like, our money's fearless. Scared money doesn't make money. And it's like, you want to know, dumb money doesn't make money. You know what I mean? Like, that's like the reality of how I was running. And again, it was because I was still... I revolutionized skateboarding and built Street League Skateboarding. I, I launched and built a cartoon on Nickelodeon. I had multiple shows on MTV. I, I owned my integration rights. So I was doing Chevy deals and Microsoft deals and making millions of dollars. So I was having extraordinary success. Only like I wasn't the way I was reinvesting in it. I was still um, essentially make rather than creating value, I was – I was really almost like a creative services agent. Just kind of sloppy. Just you weren't tight. Was not not only not tight, but didn't wasn't wasn't creating value with intention. Wasn't looking at markets yeah. and market sizes and and trends and how could I create a business that could be acquired one day. I'd never even heard of a venture. I didn't know what an investment banker was in 2013. I thought it was someone that dealt with high net worth individuals. When I when they told me my league was worth thirty million dollars and we did seven million in revenue, I said, "How?" They're like, "Oh, it trades at like you know four to five times revenue," and I'm like, "How? The how does business even? How does that even work?" I that's how little I knew about business 
in 2013, when when the 360 deal was offered to me, I had I knew nothing of the capital markets, capital staging, private equity, venture. Didn't know anything. It was the first time I'd ever even heard about it. And and compared to who I am today, and how I look at creating value and managing capital, staging, and treating myself like a family office, not that many years later. It's an exponential amount of like unprecedented growth. You know what I mean? That almost you, you doesn't know, even seem real. You're like you transferring know, through universes. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you, um, you've been, uh, you know, pretty phenomenally successful. I'm very impressed, by the way. Uh, but I almost feel like you were too early. I feel like if you were 12 years old now, because you didn't have, you know, TikTok and YouTube, where you you would have been the you know the Nelk the Nelk boys. You would have been bigger than the oh, Paul brothers, crazy. right? Like because you didn't have social yeah. media when you were doing all these stunts. You you did it yeah. in TV. You you know you, you did it before TV and then on TV. But it kind of helped them in a way, right? But, like I bet I, I bet, think you would have gone MTV, viral dude, like nobody's business. I think you would have been TV no- for the amount of views that they get. I bet yeah. MTV pays more than a, than you. Of course, of course, of course. It's you monetize as well, but I think. Fame wise, if you were a teen today with the tools they have and you had the same kind of gunslinger mentality of like doing stunts to attract attention, attract viewers and challenge yourself and have fun and have a blast in public, that model works today with people who I feel like have done like a fraction of the level of stunts that you've done. Uh, Do you think you're early? early? I don't know. No, look, I'll tell you what. It makes me tired just even seeing, having you say that. It's just like, God, think about being on YouTube. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and like, look, if, if I – even when I look at the world, right, forget about sort of being early or whatever it is. Like an extraordinary exists. I've lived an extraordinary life, a handful of lifetimes, but I've never been happier than I am today talking to you. Because at the end of the day, there was so much like like angst and ambition and like I want to do something so big and I just kept trying and trying and my will to execute and my ambition and drive kept just breaking me down. Highs and lows, highs and lows, highs and lows where now I am just in this like perpetual state of like high growth in a clear direction, right? And, And inside that is complete happiness, right? And not saying that I didn't enjoy what I, I went through, but it was too much highs and lows and chaos and for, for, for what it's worth, right? Like it's, and it's all experience. And I really love my life way more at 47 than I did at 27 or 37, right? I, and that's really what your human mission is, right? At the end of the day, you want to live this peaceful, happy, effortless, like fulfilling life. That's really what you're chasing, right? You want a, a, a life of infinite abundance and love, right? And, and the only way you can actually get to that is through learning mastery of self. And that is mastery of your energy and all the things that give and take from it your time and ultimately your capacity, right? And and the only way you can master all those is to really learn yourself at a high level and what you really love to do. And the difference is, is back then I was I had to do so many things that I didn't enjoy to feed that beast. Right. And and continue to find the next thing and constantly struggling with like, I gotta do another show and it's gotta be bigger. You know, it's like it's like that sort of thing where now everything's so much more controlled and done with purpose inside balance that you just enjoy every moment of the process right um but yeah could could 
I have done that on YouTube? No, because I also had, you know, an $800,000 budget that allowed me to like, you know, go and do a deal that could, you know, rent out, um, you know, six flags so that I could flip a car ramp to ramp over the world's biggest skateboard that I designed uh, for that, a world record episode. That, that's how much that stunt costs? It was 800? Oh, no, oh, shoot. I don't, that stunt probably cost like altogether, all of those were a few million dollars. You know what I mean? That's crazy. I mean, that's like <laughs> stunt teams and groups and like test cars and like, I mean, I, I was like, you know, then, then the day comes and what do you got to do? You got to flip a car. And you want to know what you want to know what happens on the day that you got to flip a car? You're like, this is the dumbest idea ever. <laughs> why am I even here? I have so much going on in my life. Like, why would I even put myself in this position to like flip this car? And then you flip the car and it actually works. And now it's a Super Bowl commercial and it's part of the the, the season premiere of season five of Fantasy Factory and this giant Chevy partnership. And you made millions of dollars and now you're a legend and, and you're going to all this stuff. It was genius and the best idea, but the the, <laughs> mo the day of when you got to do it, it's like, it's not even that cool. This is so dumb. You know what I mean? That's basically all of those, uh, all the stunts that I did in that era. It would always be like, this is the worst idea. It's not even funny. And then when it was over, I'd be like, I'm, I'm a legend. I'm a legend. Earlier, you said that you track trends now and you, and you start at the end and you work backwards. What trends interest you at the moment? What, uh, what business opportunities are, are intriguing to you? If you had a little bit more, like, even if you aren't going to do it, but you wish you had more time and it's just kind of on the side and you're like, this is, this, this interests me. I think someone should pounce on this opportunity. Maybe I will, maybe I won't, but it, I'm, I'm interested. Um, to, to, for clarity purposes here now, now I have a business that builds businesses, right? So okay. I, I build, uh, you know, five to six businesses a year, right? And although I've, I've, you know, I've kind of like really pushed into all the builds I'm doing at the end of the year here are all in the beauty, beauty industry, uh, adaptogenic, um, um, topicals, uh, water filter system, saw a real opportunity and, and sort of, um, in the beauty space of like how important like water is and how, how many chemicals there are. And, and when you shower, but then you go and spend all this money on your hair and makeup and, uh, skincare, but you wash yourself in chlorine. Uh, so found a real opportunity to develop a, a real innovative sort of shower purification system and, and, and water filter system for beauty. Um, and, you know, eat, really looking at superfoods and plant-based, um, the sustainable beauty products is a big opportunity in, in, in that sort of space. You know, we launched a nootropic um, uh, footwear or a nootropic um, um, and, and adaptogen uh, plant-based um, bar and drink mix and coffee mix line this year that's been really successful. We looked at, you know, the, the $3 billion in market share between UGGs. Uh, Crocs and Birkenstocks and created what we consider the more the the sleeker ugly ugly shoe the pretty <laughs> ugly shoe uh, and Luso Cloud that we launched this year that's that or last year that that really has ridden this wave of sort of uh, comfort this comfort wave and casual wave in the comfort footwear world that we think is going to be uh, on track to do really be really big too for because to me at the end of the day. Like what's happening in a market is important um, and it's it's going to be where you live and die, right? You, you're too early or, you know, in the case of UltraCast, you know, I launched this company that was a, 
a a live 360 um a live 360 and vr video platform uh that put 360 videos all over the world and where you could jump on your phone and travel all over the world and be in in different bars and and clubs and all these different things like right on the conversions of live instagram and and live content and live streaming and sort of vr coming in together and then what happened to vr like just died nothing right and it's like i was like and what did it end up being like the new 3D TV, right? And so 360 video became like the new, like the 3D TV, right? And so even though I built, I got it right on the wave and like it was super innovative with an amazing CEO who once the company went out of business, built and took a company public in like nine months. But I'm, um, that that fails, right? So you're, you're trying to time markets and look at trends and all of that. But at the end of the day, like you, you got to get a little bit lucky. So you want to be in the right place, white space and an opportunity that's in, investable. Um, there's so many nuance to a white space and where opportunity is. I can tell you um, from someone that's built 17 companies in the last five years that the, the greatest lesson I had in years two and three uh, was founder market fit. You know what I mean? Like where yeah. it, it's like when the, 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 the the biggest red flag you will ever hear is when somebody comes from uh you know one industry and wants to be in another because this one's so much easier right, right. this one's it's the margins over here it's the shelf stability over here it's though there's not size it's like they all have a position based off of how hard their particular industry's uh sort of structure is and they're all hard they're all hard and you don't want to invest it, build companies with people that have to learn the industry as they go. Right. And I think that's, that's, I would get caught in seeing great opportunities and ideas and build with really relentless, well uh, experienced founders uh, who get crushed in the learning curve of trying to learn and understand a new industry. It's something that I've really very hard for me to build a company with somebody um, that's getting into a an industry for the very first time. Rob, we've we've had like billionaires on. We typically don't do do guests. We t- it's typically just Sean and I. But we've had billionaires. We've had you know Gary Vaynerchuk was on recently. He was he was really fascinating. We've had some famous people. We've had all types of people on here. You might be the most interesting that we've ever had. Um, you're definitely the most surprising, you know, and I hopefully this isn't you don't take this the wrong way, but I, I judged you based off of just as a skateboarding fan and what I knew about you on TV. Obviously, I knew you were the slick ass businessman and you always had some cool shit going on, but you are way more dialed in than I ever would have imagined. And you might be one of the most interesting people I've ever spoken to. And uh, yeah, I, I, I think you're my new hero. Yeah, I, I this, this has been amazing. <laughs> Look, I, I, I could tell by the questions you asked me. Um, that that it was coming from that sort of lens, and I thought to myself, man, let me let me feed this guy, kind of the uh, the angle and the evolution of where I'm operating at, right? You've evolved it's also, like a motherfucker, is what you know. And it's and, and think about it too; it's extraordinarily concise and clear, right? Because it's like I constantly am seeking clarity, so I'm ob- always operating from a place of intention, and then I'm I'm consider myself to have an evolutionary mindset, where it's like how how do, how can I purposely keep evolving and evolving and evolving with purpose in a, in a singular direction. And one of those is like literally human optimization and being happy as could be, you know what I mean? At the end of the day, but no, I, I thank you. And, and I appreciate it. Cause you guys also had me do work. 
right? You guys said, hey, can you write an agenda of what you want to talk about on today's show? I'm like, these guys are like having me write an agenda to be a guest on their show. And I wrote out an agenda and we never even covered any of the subjects. Can you come back? (laughs) We didn't cover it because- you Look, blew our mind early on, and there you was kinda, just, yeah. you, I could have took the first three things you said and said, "Okay, I, I have two hours here where all I need to do is just let you expand on that." Because if I'm listening to this and somebody says something interesting, there's nothing more annoying in the world than the guests going back to their pre preset agenda and not yeah. asking about the really interesting thing the guy just said. And so yeah. we had to do it. And look, it goes back to what you said about building towards the end. Yes, we had you planned, just like I planned my exit. But like what you said was, you don't really know what's going to happen in between. Yeah. Yeah. And look, even with all this, this, this planning and structure, I'm, I don't let it, I'm not controlled by that calendar. You know what I'm saying? Like I yeah. still allow myself to like, but the beauty of the system is I could just shut down three days and everything continues to move and then picks back right up when I get there. You know, even as I operate my life, I, with the same group that helped me develop my system for the Deer Deck machine and my, my business creation system, like I had them develop my life system, right? And, and I have this, this 50 page document called the rhythm of existence that's managed by my two assistants and my chief of staff. And it's basically the operating system for my entire life, right? And so that, that allows all aspects, whether it's from my food to my haircuts to, to like how I deal with birthdays <laughs> and how I deal with all these different things is put into the system that's managed that does what? It's automated and gives me back more capacity to be able to do more, be more present with my wife and kids, be more present uh, when I'm working, be more focused, be able to get more done because I keep adding more and more automation and optimization to my life that allows me to just live and do the things I love to do, which then gives me more energy to be more successful, more clear, have more intention and push things further and farther along. You know? would, would you be willing to come on again and, and talk more about like pretty much everything you've discussed and also the things that we've planned? Because this is, is going to be a home run. Yeah, look, you know what I'd like to do? I'd probably like to like send you all of my, send you all the stuff that I do so you could read it and see it and have yeah. like, okay, here's yeah. a life conversation of how Rob lives and runs his life optimization. Then send you all of my business stuff, including my machine method and how I, I run my businesses through a discovery diligence build, um, uh, uh, scale launch and scale phase yeah. and my seven core capabilities of business and brand product. <laughs> Uh, sounds like media you got a, marketing sales. Sounds like you have a new product coming out. This yeah, is, this the, is, the, this the Deer is Deck AA program. No, it's not. It's just so I can build businesses efficiently and consistently. Mm-hmm. You know what? Right. This morning I told my, uh, you know, my, my head of media, I said, look, I think I'm going to come up with a Drake equation for business. And are you guys familiar with the Drake yeah. equation? You know, the Drake equation is essentially the probability of intelligent life inside the universe, right? And to me, I do believe that there's an equation that I'm, I can put through market, through founder experience, founder age, like all these different things that add up to a probability number on this company that I'm about to create with this person's potential successes. And, and it's because I've pointed my mastery towards I want to master curating 
individuals and ideas and building them into sustainable, profitable, acquirable businesses. And I just get better and better at every single one that I build because that mastery is going in a single direction. So my depth of knowledge and building company is, is getting so wide, which in turn is doing what? It's making me more intuitive. I can have a five-minute conversation with a potential founder and fill all their holes, know that they're a, a more operated-minded like product person, like not a brand person, doesn't understand marketing, doesn't understand media. Oh, it's a financial mind uh, that understands product. Oh, it's a brand mind and product person that doesn't understand operations or marketing or finances for sure. Like you become, you're driving yourself. If you want to save energy, you become extraordinarily intuitive, right? Like that's where your mastery shows itself. So I digress where I would, we, we, we could, we could do a life show and a business show. You know, I'm into it. I, <laughs> I think they're it's... very similar, dude. This is so good. I, I'm great. so thankful that you came on. Thank you so much. Um, we're gonna do this again. I hope. I hopefully you'll do it. But we're gonna do it. Yeah. Yeah. Rob, this has been a, our pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. Okay. All the best now. Cool. Uh-huh. Yeah. I feel like I can rule the world. I know I could be what I want to. I put my all in it like no days off On a road, let's travel, never looking back like